Hello, and welcome back to the Pep Talk Podcast. I'm your host, Mark, and today I'm joined by fellow Club of Pep Committee member and co-host Alia for an interview with the Liberal Democratic Spokesperson for Health, Well-Being, and Social Care, and Member of Parliament for Twickenham, Manira Wilson. We covered Mrs. Wilson's career up to her election to Parliament in 2019 and her efforts since to advocate on behalf of her constituents and work with at-risk young people. There's some advice in this episode for aspiring politicians and those who are fed up with the way that politics works at the minute. Before we get into the episode, we'll go over to Alia for the rest of the intro. Thank you so much, Mark, for inviting myself and Manira onto the Pep Talk podcast today. I can't wait for you guys to hear about some of the topics that we address, including working from home. And while Zoom has been great with connecting us with industry leaders, as well as members of parliament, unfortunately, sometimes it does come with some technical difficulties and glitches. So we do apologise for that. But I really do hope you guys enjoy this episode because there are some really good hints and tricks into how you can get involved in politics. Thanks, Alia. Now let's get into the episode. So, Manira and uh, Alia, thank you very much for uh, for coming on the show. Uh, and if we could just sort of kick things off here with um, Manira, your background in uh, politics, your sort of education background, uh, what sets you up to run as an MP and run successfully? Oh, gosh, that's a massive question. Yeah. <laughs> I can probably spend about 20 minutes talking about that. Um, so my background, okay, well, I'm I'm 43 now, but I say I probably, uh, well, I, my, my interest in politics was kind of nurtured when I was an A-level pupil. I studied politics for A-level. Um, it was partly by default because I knew I needed a third subject at A-level and I was wondering what to do when my school offered politics and I was quite interested in current affairs so I took it up and I got really interested and at that point I remember thinking to myself it'd be really cool to be an MP but didn't think I could seriously consider it ever. Um, Went off to university, uh, started a graduate job which I wasn't particularly enjoying but continued to be very interested in politics, follow what was going on. I was getting angrier and angrier about various issues at the time, um, the Iraq war, things to do with Europe, the environment, education. And I just felt um, on those issues, we're thinking this is going back to like 2003, so uh, quite a while ago. Uh, um, you know, the Lib Dems stood were standing up for my view and my values on many of these issues. So I decided to join the party. And uh, I remember vividly a friend saying to me, stop shouting at the television and get off your backside and go and do something about it. So that that's why I joined the party and started getting active. And I remember thinking to myself, I was really bored and frustrated in the graduate job that I was doing was wondering, you know, what I really wanted to do, what got me excited, what got me passionate. Um, and I was so exercised on all things political. And I was thinking, actually, I'd really like to look into how to become an MP. That seemed quite a, a far off uh, goal because I wasn't even involved in politics at the time. So that's why I joined the party, got active, but then also started looking for jobs working for MPs or for the party so that I could get a bit more of an insight. Um, and I was was very fortunate, actually. Generally, people need to have done lots of voluntary work or interned before they break into that uh, sphere. Uh, but I applied for various paid roles and happened to land one. So I took a pay cut from my uh, city-based graduate role 
moved out of London for 18 months and went to work uh, running the ground campaign for a Liberal Democrat MP who was in one of the most marginal constituencies in the country. And I had had literally no experience, but the party trained me up and that's how I learned the nuts and bolts of campaigning and political campaigning. Um, And so it was an amazing experience, uh, if a slightly devastating one, because we lost the seat by 347 votes, which will be scarred on my soul forever. Um, But that was kind of what set me up. And so although after that, I I did spend... uh, six months working for another MP in Westminster after that, Nick Clegg, who then went on to be Deputy Prime Minister. At the time I worked for him, he was a brand new MP. Um, I then worked in roles that were sort of related to the political or policy sphere. So first in the charity sector, then in the private sector, um, but not directly in politics, but continued to pursue my own political ambitions in my spare time. So I was doing policy, public affairs and PR type roles. Uh, in the charity and the private sector, but I then, by this point, I moved to Twickenham. I stood uh, to be elected to the local council and became a councillor for four years. I got myself approved as a parliamentary candidate, and for each party, that's a slightly different process, but I got onto the Liberal Democrat approved candidates list, and then I started looking around for parliamentary constituencies where I could put myself forward as a candidate. I went through two or three internal selection processes for seats on, uh, in London unsuccessfully, fought um, an unwinnable seat in 2010 uh, next door to Twickenham, um, and then stood for the London Assembly in 2012. Um, took a bit of a backward step from my own political ambitions for a bit whilst I started a family and continued to build my career. And I became got to quite a senior level uh, in the corporate world in a, you know, a leading global company in their UK base, which was great in terms of building my outside politics experiences, experience and skills and insights, which I think really helped me in my day to day role. And then it was just a question of sort of being in the right place at the right time. I mean, Twickenham was a Liberal Democrat seat for many years with a short break between 2015 and 2017 when Sir Vince Cable lost his seat, but he got re- got back in in 2017. And then with all the Brexit debacle, when there was a, a, a snap election in 2019 and he decided he couldn't run again. I put myself forward because uh, it was a, it was a snap process. It was an accelerated process, which meant I didn't have to try and do my day job and be a mother to two young children and be a parliamentary candidate uh, for a very prolonged period of time. Because normally you end up doing the, P- the PPC, the prospective parliamentary candidate role for two, three years. And it's a massive toll on your time and resources, which is difficult to do if you're working and and got children as well. Um, and so I was able to, to make the, the short term commitment that was needed before an election happened and then got elected, um, you know, humbled and privileged to get elected with such a big majority and uh, yeah, delighted to be here. So that's a, a whistle stop tour of uh, that process between 2003 and 2019, you know, it's a 16 year process. Yeah, wow, that, uh, but you ran through it very, very succinctly, very quickly there. And uh, you, mentioned, you mentioned your success and experience in the, in the sort of private side, private sector, and, uh, and now as, a, uh, as an MP. Um, I want to bring it just to the, uh, the lockdowns and COVID for a minute. I think that a lot of people have an understanding of what the corporate world looked like during COVID in terms of 
gravitating to online, a lot of use of Zoom. How has it been in the public sector as an MP doing parliamentary work from home? Uh, yeah, I mean, as an MP, it's been a really weird experience as a new MP starting in December 2019. I mean, I guess we only had two and a half, three months of normality as an MP. And I don't even really understand what normality as an MP is because as a brand new MP, you're a rabbit in headlights. I mean, it's, it's, it's something else. You know, you, even though I worked in and around politics and new politicians for many years and therefore had some concept of how intense it would be, it's still nothing prepares you for when you do get elected. So I had that two or three months of rabbit and headlights, brand new MP, still trying to find my way around the parliamentary estate because it's a maze. Um, and how do I cope with the gazillion competing demands on my time? And then suddenly we went into lockdown um, and there was no parliament wasn't even operating between sort of mid mid late March when we went into the first lockdown and I can't remember it was it was nothing was happening for quite, probably until about May um, they finally got themselves organised and and we got some sort of virtual proceedings going which was odd in and of itself. Um, then we were all forced back in in person in June saying we're getting rid of all of this remote uh, activity, which everybody said was crazy. And then the, the, we've had this hybrid way of working whereby you can participate in debates and question times either via Zoom or in person. Um, the voting arrangements are different. Um, we've been through various iterations of how they'll allow us to vote. They trialed remote electronic voting, which worked perfectly well, but... Jacob Rees-Mogg decided we weren't taking our duty as uh, parliamentarians seriously enough by voting electronically and that we had to be there in person. Um, so we've now got proxy voting in place. Um, so the whole parliamentary procedure is now quite different, although they're scrapping that all. And when we come back, uh, at, we, we go into recess at the end of next week. And after the summer recess, when we go back in early September, they're saying everything's back to normal. Um but actually, for me, that one of the most difficult parts of being a new MP and being in lockdown is the local aspect of my role. So the fact that I have not, until the last few weeks, really been able to get out and about properly in my community. I mean, I did in those first two or three months. I packed in what I could, not knowing that we were about to get into lockdown, but just as a new MP my number one priority was and always will be my constituency. So I got out to visit a few businesses and charities, um, but I was about to start my school visit program, visit one of the major hospitals that serves a constituency. All of that was planned for sort of last March and it all had to be cancelled. And, you know, all the summer fairs and events and things that MPs get invited to all cancelled. So that's been hard. Um, the volume of correspondence is inordinate in normal times for any MPs. But if you can imagine, coronavirus has just probably about doubled that. Um, I mean, there were there were times last year in the first lockdown when we were getting hundreds and hundreds of emails in one day, thousands every week. Um, so I and my team just working, you know, holed up in our little home offices, working ridiculously long hours, seven days a week, and still struggling to keep up with anything and people complaining that I wasn't responding to stuff. So it's been, 
yeah, it's, it's certainly been a different new MP experience. I now, while I still have the choice to participate virtually, I try and go into Westminster whenever I can if I'm due to speak because I prefer being there. I think it's really important that ministers are being eyeballed. It also gives me more, I think I can speak with more confidence and freedom when I'm there rather than into a Zoom camera. So I am doing that. Um, but it has also brought some more efficiency in how we work. So normally you don't know quite often if you're going to be called to speak in a debate or if you are going to be called when you're going to be called to speak in a debate or whether you'll be called to ask a question during departmental question time. And because of the hybrid nature, they've been having to arrange that all in advance. Right? You find out the day before if you're on the list to speak, which means you can be much more efficient with your time. I don't need to spend three hours in the chamber bobbing up and down to catch the speaker's eye to speak in a debate because I know I'm 27. So I have to be in there at the beginning for courtesies. I can pop out and go and do a meeting or deal with some issue, come back in, same, do my speech, stay for a couple of speakers out of courtesy and then go off again, which is a much more efficient way of working, which you'd expect in any normal walk of life. So that's a bit of a flavour in how odd it's been. It's great to hear that um, even though everything's gone online and with the COVID restrictions, something good has come out of it, a bit of efficiency in Parliament. I think definitely from Mark and myself's point of view, it's actually enjoyable to watch debates and Prime Minister's questions now um, yeah. without all the rowdiness. Um, yeah. You spoke a lot about your constituency work, but I'm also aware that um, we forget that um, MPs also get involved in their parliamentary work and I know that you're doing a lot of work on health and social care particularly focusing on children and young people's mental health so I was wondering if you want to tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah so um, I got appointed as my party's health spokesperson January last year again before I knew a pandemic was going to hit so most of my time leading on the health brief for the Lib Dems has been through a pandemic and responding week in, week out to what's going on with the pandemic and trying to challenge the government and hold them to account and talk to the media about uh, what's going on with the pandemic. But in the midst of that, uh, uh, or actually prior to that, I set out when I got asked to lead on this brief for the Lib Dems that I wanted to really focus on children and young people's mental health. I mean, I knew it was an issue before I got elected. I was just really, really shocked that from the moment I got elected, um, before the pandemic hit, every single week I would, without fail, have at least one uh, parent coming to my constituency surgery and at least one or two emails. Generally teenagers, sometimes younger children, um, struggling with really severe mental health issues, unable to access treatment for six months, in some cases 12 months. Um, and you know, some of these uh, young people were potentially uh, ha having suicidal thoughts and so on. And I was really, really alarmed by this. So I decided I wanted to make it a priority. It was hard to, to keep focusing on it through the pandemic, although obviously the pandemic has exacerbated that. We know pre-pandemic one in nine uh, children was struggling with some sort of mental health issue. That's now jumped up to one in six. Um, so the, the, the pandemic has only made it worse. And I am even more alarmed than I was when I got elected 18 months ago because I've just been doing a, a tour of secondary schools in my constituency. It's the 
every school, every secondary school in my constituency, the volume of cases and also the severity of cases, because there's only uh, so much a school can deal with in terms of the severity of the cases, then it obviously needs clinical intervention and help. Um, and, you know, I'm being told there are pupils in my constituency who are at serious risk, who are not getting the treatment they need. So I have been pressing ministers uh, whenever I can um, uh, to uh, increase both investment in uh, children's mental health services and increased provision of mental health services, um, both in schools and in the communities and at a sort of hospital health service level for those who are in the much more severe category. Um, so I've been calling for a counsellor for every school. I've been calling for community mental health hubs that are sort of walk-in hubs that young people can access um, for like a one-stop shop where they can go and get mental health support, sexual health advice, but also potentially careers advice and so on. Um, and, you know, I've written to the Chancellor. I've brought it up with the Education Secretary. I've brought it up with the Health Secretary. I led a debate, as I say, a few weeks ago. Minister was claiming to me privately afterwards that she hadn't been denied money from Treasury, but the problem was that we just don't have enough of the skilled staff or the counsellors and mental health experts and psychiatrists and uh, clinical staff to provide the support that's needed. Um, but, you know, it really is reaching crisis levels. Um, and locally, I know my neighbouring MP, Sarah Olney, Ed, Davey and I, our, our caseloads are chocker with this issue. So we're also trying to convene some of the local health leaders to say, what can we do to help you? Is there a specific ask, particularly for Southwest London, for Richmond and Kingston, that we need to make of government? Because it is, it's, it's quite scary. Um, and, you know, we need a cross-government effort and focus on this because children and young people are our future. They're not going to be able to catch up academically if they're struggling with their mental health. So it's great. It's good that there's some focus on academic catch-up, although, again, there isn't enough money going into that, I don't think. But alongside that, we need to think about children and young people's well-being, all the social uh, aspects that have been um, impacted as a result of the lockdowns, not just the academic aspects. Scary indeed. Those statistics are absolutely harrowing. And um, I know you've mentioned um, some things that you're working on, as such as counsellors in school, community mental health teams, some things that you are lobbying for. But um, as university students, I'm sure a lot of us would have gone through mental health difficulties also through the pandemic. I know that children are have their a lot more focused um, centres, such as CAMS, which stands for child and adolescent mental health services and then there's a bit of a gap between the transition between cams and adult services and i was just wondering um is there are there any plans for to, to bridge that gap between childcare and ad, adult mental health care um so i i'm not aware of detailed plans i know that the system as a whole is aware that this is a bit of an issue um i uh, it's, it, it is an area that I know needs to be focused on, but I haven't specifically focused on that. I mean, the one area that has been brought to my attention is the fact that actually often when young people are 18, 19, still living at home um, with parents or, or, you know, at university and only living at home in the holidays, um, 
but you know having mental health crises um there's a there's a real challenge there because obviously yeah the young person's now an adult and therefore you know they are responsible for their health care and they should be taking those decisions and it's not the parents responsibility but if you're 19 and still living at home yeah your parents and and if you've got a you know good and functioning relationship with your parents then of course your parents are still caring for you to some extent and wanting to be involved in in your treatment and help you and actually when you're having a crisis um and uh you know the various um parts of the system don't want to engage with the parent that is causing all sorts of issues and i think there's a there's a discussion to be had there because i absolutely would always put the fact that you know it should be the young person's choice and you know if they don't want any uh, any other people involved in their care that's absolutely their their right um to do that to say that but i think often actually they do want them involved and and the the, the health service and other people in the system won't engage with other adults around them because they you know they they are now adults so that's one area that i think is really tricky just sort of ethically and how we navigate that and i know there's been a bit of an initiative around universities and um whether you know people students should be opting in or opting out of whether parents or carers or somebody nominated by the students should be told if that young person's struggling with their with their mental health or indeed a physical health issue if they've had some sort of accident um and I, I think that is an area that needs to be looked at because for for some young people, it's absolutely right that they don't want their parents or or, or others involved at all. Um, but on the on the specific transition piece, I, I, I my understanding is that the that the services are trying to look at more of a sort of or almost up to twenty five kind of. Uh, cut-off point and, and trying to smooth those transitions out. But to be honest, I think the system is just under-resourced across the board, whether it's CAMS or whether it's adult. And uh, my impression is is that, you know, that that, that transition is not going to be smoothed out for some time, but it is an issue that needs picking up. If I'm being honest, it's not one I've focused on much yet. But um happy to get people's feedback, those who are listening, if you want to share your experiences. It's something I can flag yeah this all seems uh especially relevant in the context of the uh of the last year where a lot of young people felt that burden of 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 covid and the lockdowns uh apartness and just separation uh they felt that toll on their mental health but uh just to just to move on and sort of wrap things up with a, a final question for those that are listening and and maybe identified with what you said at the beginning in terms of getting tired of, of just shouting at their television, their laptop, and uh, wanting to uh, engage in politics, enter politics, have their own voice heard. Uh, what, what steps can they take? Is there a laid out path? Is there a, uh, is there a way to get involved that, that's sort of better than others? What advice would you have? No, there's no set path. Uh, you know, there's no... Um set timing or anything i would say if you're if you're passionate about any issue get involved you know politics is not just about i mean obviously i would advocate joining a political party and getting active and i'd particularly advocate you joining the liberal democrats 
However, um, what, one of the things that uh, really encourages me going around and talking to schools and university pupils is actually, students rather, um, is that actually young people are massively active already in politics in its widest sense. You know, whenever I go into schools and talk to uh, pupils, they're always, you know, they're really engaged in the whole discussion around climate change, about LGBTQ rights, about Black Lives Matter, about, you know, all sorts of things, uh, you know, about the education system and the future of that, about, uh, you know, jobs, everything. And so, you know, and there's so many active movements uh, and issues that you can get involved in. Um, so if you're interested, and if, if there's something that really, you know, makes your uh, heart beat in terms of an issue that really gets you excited, go and get involved in that. If you don't feel like you want to necessarily get involved in a political party, if, however, you are actually interested in getting involved with a political party, whichever party that is, Go and join. I, I would hope that every party would uh, welcome you with open arms. Uh, we're certainly in the Lib Dems. We're always looking for more people to get involved and particularly to to, to volunteer and, and get involved. There's so many different ways you can do that, whether that's on the campaigning side, whether that's on the policy side, uh, you know, whether that's kind of backroom strategy stuff, you know, it, you know, but you will have to cut your teeth doing some of the sort of shoe leather work, as it were, to uh, as you get involved. Um but if you want to break in, you know, get into Parliament, there is no set course. You know, some people come much later on in their careers when they're in their their fifties or something, and there are some who who get in, you know, in their twenties um, soon after university. Um, you know, I as I said, I'm I'm now forty three, so I was forty one when I got elected, um, and I, you know, I actually I'm really pleased in some ways, that it took me as long as it did from when I first got active and thought this is something I seriously want to pursue to when I got elected, because I got all of that experience along the way, both uh, as a, you know, as I say, in the business world and in the charity sector. I spent a short while as well working for the NHS, um, but also as a mother, as a parent, and experiencing the school system and all the, all the issues um, and services in the local community that the people I serve use, and that is invaluable. Um, but equally, it's really important that we have young people in Parliament making their voice heard. So there's no particular subject to study, there's no particular career path to study. Obviously, there are a whole load of people in the cabinet and you know in the shadow cabinet who have have taken that well-trodden path of studied politics at uni, became a researcher for a, an MP or worked for a political party, then became a special advisor to a minister or a shadow minister, and then went for a seat and got elected. That is a reasonably common path for some of our more high-profile politicians, but it's certainly um, by no means uh, the case for everyone. And you've got people without degrees, people with degrees, you've got people who've been social workers or carers or teachers or, you know, working in manufacturing to hairdressers, lawyers, doctors, uh, you know, PR people, people who've worked in, in charities and, you know, everything in between. So there's there's no set, set route. Um, I just say get involved, get active. Um, you know, and if you do want to actually 
go follow that whole process of getting approved and standing for a political party, every party will have people and groups within it who can advise you on that process, um, particularly if you're either a woman or from some sort of minority group, whether that's ethnic minority or uh, other underrepresented groups. Um, there are various uh, groups within the parties that are set up specifically to try and improve our representation. So we look a bit more like modern Britain, which you know, we're improving on, but sadly Parliament doesn't look that way yet. Well, I uh, I know that you uh, you have to uh, you have to get going here. Uh, as much as we'd like to steal more of your time, uh, unfortunately, we won't be able to today. So I just uh, like to say, uh, yeah, big thank you for coming onto the show, and to uh, to Ali as well. Thank you for uh, for helping me interview, being a a, a co interviewee, and uh, yes, just just thank you very much. Not at all. Thank you. I hope that was all okay. <laughs> It was lovely. I'll see you guys next time. Great. Thanks.